Students Who Design is a podcast and video series that bridges students and the design industry. By students, for students. Be sure to check out our website, studentswho.design. This is Students Who Design. Today we'll be talking to Megan Maupin, who studies Integrated Design Management at MIT and was a user experience design intern at Patagonia over the summer. This episode covers what you might get out of grad school, the difference between working in architecture and product design, and so much more. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Students Who Design is sponsored in part by Facebook Design. For more resources and information on designing at Facebook, visit facebook.design and check out open rules at facebook.com careers. Hi Megan, first off we'd like to introduce what school you currently attend, what program you're in, and where you previously worked. Okay, so my name is Megan and I'm in the Integrated Design and Management program at MIT, which is a dual grad degree between the School of Engineering and Sloan. Cool, and where have you previously worked? Uh, let's see. So I've worked at Partners in Health, uh, Shepley Bullfinch, Form Labs, uh, and Patagonia, wow. and also the MIT Design Lab. And how did you get into design? Um, let me think about it. Well, in <laughs> high school, I was super into art and also really good at math. So I was trying to think, what could I do with art? I knew I wanted to have some sort of artistic career that could also make a difference, um, but I'm really good at math, so like, what does that mean? So I kind of ended up at like what I thought was a fusion between the two of those, so I ended up in architecture school. Okay. And so you're architecture school at UVA? Yeah, I went to UVA undergrad, and I got a minor in sustainability. And so majoring in architecture, how did you, uh, you currently don't do architecture, because you're currently at school at IDM, and your mm -hmm. previous experiences are from UX design to working at Form Labs. Um, so how did you take that very professional and very specific degree to move towards those fields? Yeah, so even though I'm doing more product design and UX design, as you mentioned, I'm really happy that I got an architecture degree um, because I got to study a little bit of everything in studying architecture. So they make you study history, you do hand drawing, you do a lot of computer modeling. I did the sustainability minor, so I did a lot of like uh, systems thinking and uh, used technology to figure out how to like orient buildings. And keeping all of those different influences in mind has really made me think very broadly today about what design is, uh, what to consider when you're designing something, how design can impact people and society and the environment. Um, and kind of just throughout my career I just chose to sort of get smaller in scale um, because when I was working in architecture, especially when I was working on the hospital in Haiti, um, I sort of had this revelation that for me personally, I didn't think on working on a large structure was a way to bring, um, you know, healthcare or make an everyday difference in those people's lives. I thought it was it could happen better on a smaller scale. And in addition to that, I got frustrated in architecture because I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to be so talking like, to the users. What's the difference between architecture and design then? Nothing, I'm just talking more like product design. Okay. Um, I consider architecture to be design, but just more of why I've gotten like smaller in scale. Mm -hmm. But um, especially when you're an intern architect starting off, um, so in like the first year of my career, I was just like moving doors in a floor plan. I wasn't actually doing any design, and that's not, I had these lofty ambitions when I went to school. And I was like, I want to do something, like I have all these ideas, and I just felt very frustrated every day when I was working these long hours, um, only to just stare at the computer all day and, and move stuff with my mouth like two feet, you know? <laughs> so how did you successfully make the, how and when did you successfully make the pivot from moving doors to 
all these user experience roles? Yeah, so I had this like pretty cool job at the architecture firm where I was sort of like a junior architect and I was also in this role that they called a geek. So I worked with IT a lot and part of what geeks did was sort of stay up to date on all the new technology and figure out how to bring that into the firm. So when my firm got a 3D printer, I was like, this is sick. I yeah. love making stuff. And it was kind of my job to figure out how we could use 3D printing in our business, like how we could use it as a communication tool, like printing off models and showing them to someone and explaining. And kind of in that process of doing more modeling and doing more stuff with my hands and working on a different scale, I was actually more interested in that, which is how I ended up working for Formlabs and kind of saying bye to architecture for now. Um, although I will say a lot of the product stuff that I work on, I think about architecture all the time and it is maybe even between the scale of what we traditionally think of product design like a phone um, and a building. So I worked on a really cool project last year um, here at MIT which was a backpack that transformed into an emergency shelter for astronauts. And could you walk us through the process of like how, how did you make that? How did I make it? Yeah. Because oh. <laughs> like we always talk about, like we are taught and we always talk about the design process in that yeah. like, find your people problem, do the low mm -hmm. fidelity, medium fidelity, yeah. high fidelity and like deliver it, right? But like yeah. it's always in this context of a, a 750 by 1334 pixel screen. Mm -hmm. But a backpack that transforms into an emergency shelter is like extrapolating that to a whole different degree. Yeah. So it's a hard problem because there's less like personal interviewing you can do and especially yeah. since you know the location of your where your product's going to be used is the moon or Mars, you, yeah. you can't really go there. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of constraints but basically the way I approached it is like one, I found a really great mentor so I was working with this professor who uh, had a dual appointment between architecture and engineering and had thought a lot about like space habitats and um, different mechanisms of you know folding and having something be small and, and expanding it. She did a lot with inflatables um, and then I kind of assembled this like team of people. I like reached out to people in the Aero Astro School in architecture and I kind of got everyone's individual expertise and like brought it into my project. So the Aero Astro people about some of the physics stuff that I didn't really know about and then just made a ton of models both like um, in Rhino and Kangaroo and also physical models even small just like okay like what happens if you're trying to fold something that's supposed to be this side like how do you fold it to be this size and like how many layers does it need to have. Um, and also, you know, did, read a ton of academic papers and reached out to, to people at NASA. So I also had a few mentors who like worked at NASA. It was so cool. And how did cool you measure if the success or if it worked? Um, I mean, it kind of ended as an as a independent study. Mm -hmm. To me, the measure of success would be would the people at NASA think it's meaningful research and yeah. is it something that they would take and possibly use in creating their own habitats and they seemed really excited about it so I kind of considered that to be a success and also had a functional prototype. Um, to make a full-scale prototype <laughs> was like really insane because <laughs> the MIT people told me that in order, we had all these ideas about like spraying insulation, um, but I would have to do all this crazy safety training and wear a hazmat suit to like build it full-scale so I never quite got there. I think, yeah. I think the functional prototype yeah. is good enough. Yeah. Uh, so you're currently in the IDM program at MIT. Yeah. Um, it's called Fully Integrated Design and Management. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and what pros and cons or what was in your mind when you were thinking about going to grad school after being at Foreign Labs? Yeah, so I didn't really think I wanted to go to grad school. Um, I didn't really feel like I needed to because Form Labs and working at a startup in general is so exciting. 
and it's really hard to leave when you feel like you're learning so much and as you know young in your career you have all these responsibilities and I learned so much there but it got to a point kind of I, I came in I was employee number 30 something and then when I left after three years there were 250 that there was less exploration in what I was doing and I was kind of doing similar things over and over because I was good at it and I was very inspired when I was there and I thought maybe as a designer I might want to start my own company but then how would I get that knowledge of, of what to do and how to connect the dots between like designing something, getting it made, uh, bringing it to market? Like I just I didn't even know where to start. So I thought maybe actually instead of design school, I should look at business school. But I knew that very like uptight business school yeah. wasn't for me. Um, so I was like, maybe there's a program out there for people like me. And I just happened to stumble upon IDM, like, and in its first year, because I'm only in the second year of students in, in the program. Um, and what I liked about it was that it kind of combined everything that I wanted to do, so design with engineering and management. Um, so you kind of speak all the language of the, like all of those different disciplines and has students from all three. So there's seven designers, seven engineers, seven managers working together in these interdisciplinary groups on projects. So the class is 20 people. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a startup incubator within MIT. So like you own all of your own IP. They really encourage you to like um, work on your own ideas and give you a lot of mentorship and resources in that way. And I was like, this is perfect because mm -hmm. it kind of gives me all the other knowledge I needed and also all of the resources of the MIT community to really try to start a business like right out of MIT. Um, so it's kind of perfect in that way. And what do you think students could do um, to continue improving their craft in a university setting? So I think, you know, in an architecture school, that's all you're doing um, yeah. is, is improving your craft. but with respects to design or any part of design being at a startup like Forum Labs or any other company that's like your job 40 hours a week whereas in mm -hmm. university settings like grad school people can get caught up in the classes or like the projects. Yeah, I, f I feel that now. Um, I'm having two totally different years. Like my first year of school, I was like so obsessed with school. I was like working like 12 hour days, like taking all these classes and that was great. Like I did some really cool projects like I just mentioned. Um, but one thing that I kind of started to explore was like getting outside of the, the MIT bubble, getting outside of just the academic community, um, and also reflecting on why I learned so much working at Form Labs. And I think it's because I had access to all of these different types of people and also the Boston community in general or like maybe even the 3D printing or tech community. So I've really this year been trying to make a conscientious effort to get outside of my own school and really talk to people um, from different disciplines and who might have different perspectives than you. And I think that's really important for all students to do. Um, and also just to like balance their lives in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, like I said, was like a workaholic last year and this year I've been taking like the 80-20 approach. Okay. So I'm doing like 80% work, 20% me time and actually I find that my work is better and I'm focusing way better. What does me time consist of? Um, or sorry, when you say 80-20, do you mean like in the day or in the week? No, just like in general, just like as a philosophy, like, you know, like I normally try not to work on the weekends and I'm going like climbing or hiking. So I'm actually training for this really big rock climb that I'm going to do when I graduate. Um, it's in Switzerland. It's called the Eiger. Um, but I've also been training for it already for nine months and now for like another year. But so like every opportunity I get, I'm like climbing. Um, and I'm taking all these different influences, even outside of school, and they like end up showing up in my projects anyways. 
So I think, I think it's really important, especially as designers, and reaching outside your discipline, going outside your school, even just going outside in nature, um, and really opening up to all the different influences and ways that you can pull inspiration from all these different places. So now I'd like to talk more about your professional and career exposure. So to start off, how did you get your first opportunity or internship? And mm -hmm. what did you do to stand out during that first phase of recruiting? Mm -hmm. So my first internship was with this really cool architecture firm based in Seattle called Olsen Kundig. And it was my dream internship. Because I make I think the guy was a rock climber actually who started it and they have all these cool like gizmos and like you turn a wheel and the whole like like window opens and shifts and transforms into this and it was like the coolest shit and I was like feeling so nervous about it. So I think I'm the type of person, like probably a lot of designers, slightly OCD, mm -hmm. and I really like to over-prepare. So I did a ton of research, and I just wrote the most like dope cover letter that like referenced their <laughs> so like cover projects. Letters cover letters matter, and actually, I would say having good writing skills in, in general is really really important, both for like seeming professional, being able to explain your work. Um, being able to justify why you do things um, and also being able to be like really clear about what your intentions are. So yeah, writing a good cover letter is an art, also writing a good email is an art. The writing um, is an art. Yeah, in general. It's a great skill for designers to have and not a lot of them do. Um, so I just, I think like it was my cover letter and the fact that I like really knew exactly why I wanted to work at this firm and why I wanted those people to be my mentors, it made a really clear case for myself. Um, and then I also have this one tip that I'm going to share on here. I hope not too many people listen, but also I hope a lot of people listen because then everyone will be doing this tip. Okay, so my tip is if you get an interview and then you always want to like say thank you after, right? Mm -hmm. And then I made a thank you like postcard with a picture of my work on it and that's what I sent to them with like a note in the back. So it's like a double reminder like, Oh, thanks for this interview. I'm so polite and also look how sweet my work is. So like, on the front was your work and on the back was this letter? Yeah, it's like a postcard. Like yeah, you make yeah. like a postcard of your work as your like follow-up thank you. Just so like as a reminder of like who you are and you're also saying a thank you. So I assume you would have to express ship this because like if it doesn't, if it gets there like after you get your yes or no, then it's weird. I feel like actually like in general, they take a couple weeks to like get back to you. After. So That's as long true. as you send it like two day mail, like it's fine. Yeah. But yeah. It's better than sending an email, I think, too. Because, like, right, yeah. emailed, like, delete, delete, yeah. I've heard, uh, I remember this one person um, told me how he was interviewing for a management position at FedEx. Mm -hmm. And he sent a thank you letter through, like, FedEx postage. That's, that's cool. And he got the job. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think touch. there's, like, that hustle element that a lot of people forget. Yeah. Because, like, you know, of course you need very good work, but, like, it's kind of very subjective and hard to compare one candidate's work to the other, but their hustle is very easy to see mm -hmm. between the two. And I think that like, so I've hired some interns myself working at Formlabs, and oh. I would say, and from what I've heard from other people, that, so work is obviously like get your foot in the door and having a good cover letter, but you're more likely to get hired if you exhibit that hustle and passion and enthusiasm and really like good understanding of the work and why you would want to be doing it. And I think that that makes someone a more appealing intern um, than necessarily like all of the accolades on their resume. It's like their willingness and like enthusiasm for like doing So when you were hiring interns, that was more of a priority compared to like how many 
places they've worked out on their Yeah, I think so, but that might also be more unique to like the startup because I mean, basically like when you're working at a new technology startup, you're designing things that haven't really existed before. So sometimes like you want basic skills that mm -hmm. people have, um, but you're not going to be designing like you have to use your own creativity and that's where the understanding of like the business and the values and what's important to them comes into play because that will be more important in creating what you're doing in the internship than if you because you wouldn't have done anything like what you're doing before. And so touching upon that, how does uh, the design process or design at Form Labs, a startup work compared mm -hmm. to the more uh, established firms that, that you've also worked at? Yeah, so Form Labs was a really cool company to work for because even though they make a hardware product, I think design is really um, integrated into everything people do there and all the different teams and also they make a tool that designers use. Um, so when I first started it was interesting because there there's kind of like nebulous teams like there weren't really team I mean it's so small it's only 30 people there was no creative team there wasn't a marketing team there wasn't really a design team there was like a handful of designers who did like everything which is kind of great because if you have designers sort of working on everything, then it makes everything sort of seamless. Um, and then teams started to form, but uh, I really liked that about Form Labs that there wasn't necessarily just one centralized design team; that there were designers that were that were on the product team, but product could it wasn't necessarily hardware. They're, they also make their own software and 3D printing materials, so product include all of those. Um, but there's also designers who are on the web team, and there are also designers who are on the creative team and the marketing team. Um, and I think that that really gave a, a high level and design and branding to everything that Form Labs did um, that really made them stand out as far as 3D printing companies go, especially like early on when they were first starting. And at designing a, these big architectural firms, was it very much that you were pigeonholed into one thing, or how did you try to take initiative whenever you weren't required to wear multiple hats? Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to not work at a super large firm. I would say it's like medium sized, so maybe 150 people, and they had two offices. And I had that cool job of like being a geek, so yeah. I wasn't super pigeonholed, but it was still very like formulaic, like you report to this person, you report to this person and this, you help this team and you will only be doing this specific thing. Um, and then the other side of that was like the exploratory part of like the technology and doing that. But as far as like being a junior architect, um, it was hard and it was also hard to feel like I had ownership in a lot of things that were going on because by the time it got, I was like the lowest at the totem pole, by the time something got down to me is like what I was mentioning, like oh, I was like changing someone's redlined drawings, yeah. or I was just making a, a model, but I was like just making the model based on their, like I had no, no part in the process, and that was kind of frustrating. So you've done a lot of um, hardware and physical product design, and then most, more recently user experience design. Mm -hmm. um, and how have you transferred your learnings between those two different types of design in your career? Yeah, so I think that, um, the biggest thread that connects all of them is, is figuring out how to make both like technology and product accessible through design. 
So to me, that means it could be on the product design and the physical hardware part, like how do we make sure that when we open it, it doesn't hit this or it's not awkward to grab this yeah. thing and take this out, or is it easy to intuit how you use it? But it's also, um, you know, on the digital side, how do you support people when they need help? How do you give them the answers that they need? How can you use video and other forms of media to teach them how to use this technology? Um, so it seems like what's similar in all of that is like user first, like they teach you in design school, like really having a strong grasp on understanding the users and being able to do um, a lot of like interviews and user research and beta testing. Um, and I think that no matter if a, a product is digital or physical, and, and to be honest, like a lot of products now have a component of both, yeah. um, that user part is really key and is kind of at like the heart of all good design of, of practicing empathy and like really understanding like the needs of who's going to be using the product. So these last uh, questions in this last section is what we ask every single guest. And so this mm -hmm. is what's on the minds of the student design communities that we've polled either on Facebook, Twitter, and Medium. So the first question is having the experience that you do, there's probably some things you feel that the design industry does not quite understand about the student design community. And we're mm -hmm. wondering if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so having very recently come from industry, I think that one of the biggest things I saw was age bias. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that some of the best firms and some of the best companies uh, kind of try to prevent that by giving everyone sort of a seat at the table or a voice, no matter if they're an intern or they're someone that's been there for 50 years. Because if you think about it, there's a lot of advantage to kind of the contributions that can come from a student or someone just out of school, fresh ideas, technology, sort of different mindset, coming from a different background, possibly than people who have like been thinking the same way at a company for a really long time. And the pairing of that person who is coming with a fresh perspective, different tools with someone who has a lot of industry expertise is really powerful. But in order for that to happen, there kind of has to be an avenue in order for like the younger person to participate. Um, and so while I think it, it's like kind of unfortunate in this these larger, more structured companies that it, there's not as much uh, room for that. I think that like at startups or at companies who have a really good design culture, um, it doesn't matter how much experience or, or, or what age you are, um, just because someone's older than you doesn't mean they're right. And you have a lot to manage from school now, uh, mm -hmm. life, climbing, design. Yeah, climbing. Uh, how do you try to stay on top of it all? Yeah, so... Um, you talked about the 80-20 rule. Yeah, the 80-20 rule. That's been like a more recent thing because I really just, I had uh, a great experience working at Patagonia this summer. Mm -hmm. And they have an amazing culture, you know, like let my people go surfing. And I did probably one of the coolest projects I've ever worked on, like in my whole career there. And I went climbing every morning and I did not work on the weekends and I like, hung out and went kayaking with the people on my team and we fostered these like really tight bonds that I think made my work so much better. Um, so now I'm a huge proponent of like 80-20 rule um, just because that like quality of life and that inspiration that came from like being outside really permeated my work in a super positive way. Um, but also at the same time I am really hyper organized. I use a planner. I 
like put everything in the calendar. I was just telling you that I have all these like yeah. specific email filters for my inbox. So I try to stay as organized and efficient as possible so that I can do the fun stuff. Oh, that um, thing makes complete sense. Yeah. And I don't I don't take grades too seriously. That's been a really hard thing that I've sort of had to let go of, especially at MIT, is like A's don't matter, especially in grad school, no one gives a shit about your grades. They're never gonna ask about your GPA. Um, but kind of putting your best work forward and also like taking care of yourself so that you can be like a good contributing teammate and you can stay positive and be a good listener and all of that is like way more important and that comes from, from life balance. And so there's a lot of articles, blogs, newsletters and, and general noise on the internet and how do you filter out what's uh, good content or relevant to you compared to what is just noise or clickbait? Yeah, so to be honest, I don't read that many things. I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. So like my favorite is How I Built This because I just find oh, it so, yeah. so inspiring. Yeah, yeah. So I listen to it when I'm on the bus coming to school and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to build something cool today. <laughs> like I'm going gonna, gonna to do this. Like they didn't, they like had the hardest time and they got through it and now yeah, they're yeah. like started this company. So I do that. And then what I do instead of like reading a lot of design blogs, um, is that I try to draw inspiration from like the community that I have here. So, you know, from the students that are here or all of the amazing lectures that happen in other departments. So like, you know, when they found other planets in our solar system or when um, the scientists here won the, the Nobel Prize and just all this amazing stuff that happens. And I try to go to those lectures and sort of get out of the design bubble as much as possible to sort of like, you know, draw those connections or sort of have a larger picture of like, what does design mean and what is its role in this world? Because like, to me, design is not just like um, my shirt or your phone or, you know, this room, but it's a lot larger and it, and it affects our interactions and there are a lot of ways that, that design shows up unexpectedly in science and, and everywhere else that um, affects our, our human experience that I find really interesting and inspiring more so than just like flipping through magazines or reading blogs. Also, I want to get off the computer as much as possible. I think that's important. Yeah. That's so important. Or the way like, uh, I'm reading this book called Deep Work right now and it's all about like turning off your phone. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is turning off your phone or just reducing distraction and embracing being bored. Yeah. Because like your unconscious mind can think. Yeah, or being just yeah. like silent. Exactly. Or like open to, yeah, agree, 100%. Do you have that any, called? It's called Deep Work. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any mentors that you follow to stay inspired or any um, books or even people to act as pseudo mentors for you? Yeah, so some of my biggest inspiration and mentors are no longer alive. So Charles and Ray Eames are obviously, I mean, as if you're thinking about architecture and product design, like the ultimate. Another person that I'm obsessed with is Shigeru Bon. He's an architect and he won the Pritzker, which is like the big award in architecture. I think maybe like three or four years ago when I saw him speak here at MIT, what I found amazing about his work, and, I, and I've kind of like watched all the videos or like anytime he's ever talked about his work, is that he takes ordinary materials like uh, cardboard tubes and he turns it into something like special and sacred, especially in communities that like, you know, their, their buildings have been washed away by flooding or like in developing countries. And kind of uses the participation of the community and this like ordinary material to turn it into something like really sacred and meaningful for the people. And like, 
that is the best like type of design that you could ever ever think of. Um, but I mean, there are a lot of mentors even in my program. That's what I love about IDM is that there's so many experts and, and so much inspiration just within our like small community of 20 students that I've learned from them probably more so than I've learned anything in class. Um, and then at MIT community in general, like so many resources and so many people who are just willing to like take the extra time to like give you advice. So like I'm in a class at the, the Martin Trust Center for Entrepreneurship. So like at, at any hour they're always there and they'll connect me with someone else who's like the best in their f or like help me get my stuff started. Um, so I, I love that. That's probably the number one reason why I wanted to go to grad school is like the community and the kind of like informal mentorship that comes from your peers more so than than any of the curriculum or any of the classes. So. And as a design leader um, at MIT and just in general, I'm sure there are a lot of people and students that come to you asking for advice. And so what immediate actionable piece of advice would you give to someone listening now? Hmm. Also, I don't think I'm a design leader, but they <laughs> are saying that. <laughs> um, oh, man. Well, I think that some of the biggest takeaways that I can think of would be don't let other people tell you what to do, and also don't let other people tell you that you suck or don't listen to them. I had someone tell me I should drop out of architecture school and that I like sucked at design, <laughs> and then like later that year I won I won like a design competition, and I, like it's so subjective, and I, and I'm like so happy that I didn't give up just because that person who was like actually my teacher told me to drop out. I was like, you know what, whatever, like, and I just kept going. So like. Just, just like following your own intuition and not listening to anyone else. And then the other thing that I think is really important is just, like I said, like getting out there, getting outside of your own bubble and not being afraid to like ask people for help or like reach out because some of the coolest things that have ever happened in my life, including probably getting into MIT, getting a job at Form Labs, moving up to Boston, um, have been because I've reached out to someone like blindly, just like so full of like enthusiasm and wanting to know about what they're doing that it's led to something like amazing. So the more people you've talked to and just like not being afraid to like ask for advice or reach out or get outside your own like everyday life will lead to like really incredible opportunities. And our last and final question is okay. what's next? Yeah, so um, as I said, my program is very focused on entrepreneurship, so I'm actually starting a company now while I'm at MIT and planning on launching it um, after I graduate. And I'm training for that epic climb in, awesome. in the Alps. And so. when do you graduate? Uh, in May. So in May, cool. So, we will, so we'll all keep an eye out for your business. Oh, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. Hopefully it launches then. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> Students Who Design is written and produced by Sahil Koja and Omar Abdul Rahim. Visit our website, studentswho.design, for more information.